Podcast brought to you by the School of Business at Portland State University. I'm Michael Coach, and I'm joined by my co-host, Diane Erickson, and our special guest, Tatum Duke, a Portland State senior majoring in supply chain management and a part-time musician and DJ. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so exciting to have you. Tatum is my friend, so I thought he would be perfect um, because... He has a cool major, and then he's also doing his music career on the side. So we thought it'd be really cool to have you. So how do you two know each other? We're in the business honors program together. Yeah, yeah. We uh, met fall term last year, and we've been we've been in the same cohort. Uh, we're gonna be in class again. We haven't been in class together this entire year, but now we're gonna be in class for our, our capstone next next term. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, it's and a good time. And as many of our viewers may know, I'm actually the editor of this podcast. I don't usually host, but Tatum is a part-time DJ, and I also am a producer of music, so I figured it'd be kind of cool to get on, um, get nerd out about music stuff together, so this will be fun. Absolutely. So yeah, just jumping right in, let's do a little introduction for the folks who don't know you yet. So could you give us your name? where you're from, and what you do at PSU? Yeah, absolutely. So as previously stated, I'm Tatum uh, Tatum Duke, and I moved to Portland uh, from Durango, Colorado, back in, I think, 2019. I'm a student at Portland State University, a senior currently majoring in supply chain management and logistics. Yeah, I was drawn to Portland State pretty much by location, and I moved up to Portland actually with a producer that I had met in Denver. So. We lived together, and then I kind of decided that I wanted to get back into college, so now I'm here. That's awesome. Thank you. And going back just to the beginning, uh, maybe getting into your high school days, um, did you do any activities or extracurriculars, and do they relate to your current field of study or not? No, actually. I In high school, I was pretty much bent on being a, a performer or a musician. Um, I was pretty disinterested in going to school in general. I, I, I went for a brief time right after high school, but I, I never really saw myself being in, especially in an office setting. But I did, I did take on leadership positions. Uh, I was in student government, uh, student ambassador for high school. And um, yeah, I, did, I still did a bunch of music stuff on the side, but never really in an official group or anything like that. No, it was, it was all kind of on my own. So I know in music, you hear a lot that people say, I could not ever imagine myself doing something else. Like, I knew from day one, music was going to be the dream. Did you feel that back then? And sort of what led you to the path that you're on now in supply chain? Yeah, I was hyper-focused on doing this music thing, and I recognized when I was probably 21 or 22 that the chances of me living the lifestyle that I want to through music were pretty slim. And not that not possible, but just that I wanted to find a way to make income, uh, challenge myself and use my brain a little bit more. Because I was pretty much working in the service industry up until I'm still in the service industry. I still work, I work at a pizza shop right now. Okay. So, Where at? You uh, want to the pizza shop? Star Pizza. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, shout out to Star Pizza. They're great. Best, best deep dish in town. I'm pretty sure it's the only deep dish in town, but uh, it's great. But 
you know, music was a pretty wild ride uh, going for that out of high school, and it did lead me. To, I've gotten to be in some awesome rooms with some awesome people, and I've gotten to do some pretty cool stuff and, and be in places that if I wasn't to do music, I wouldn't have probably been um, in those spaces. So it's allowed me to to kind of be part of different areas and different communities that I, I wouldn't normally have access to. Um, I'm not sure if that answered your question fully, though. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, okay. Do you have any examples, like like a high point of the music career, one of the coolest things you got to do? Yeah, um, I got to open up for Dizzy Wright, a uh, sold-out show. Uh, we produced an album, and we actually got a sponsorship from... This is back when I was living in Durango. We got a sponsorship from the Durango Arts Center. To They, they threw us $500, and we went up to Side 3 Studios in Denver and recorded everything. And then we started doing a bunch of promotion, and we got reached out, and we got we had the ability to open up for Dizzy Wright. So I got to meet Dizzy Wright on his, uh, I think it was his Golden Age 2 tour. Um, super fun. Got to play to a, cr a big crowd, like a sold-out crowd. That's super was, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was this with a band that you put together? Or? Yeah, so uh, Rise the Rebel and Jamal Raekwon were two rappers that I was working for at the time and living with. We all worked the same job together, drove the same car together. I'm surprised we didn't drive each other crazy at the time because <laughs> it's probably nine months straight of us like being in the same room all the time. And yeah, we had our little community, and we we uh, yeah we got to we got to play some pretty cool shows. It was fun, but I'm not a rapper. I'm not a really a vocalist, so I was kind of just behind the decks. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so with regards to performing, do you get to perform in Portland, or have you thought of performing in Portland? I have had. Pretty slim opportunity to perform in Portland, mostly from my own lack of attention to marketing myself. I, being in school and then working, it's hard to, to try to get shows and gigs, um, especially because, you know, in the city, the DJ scene is pretty competitive. Uh, I have a couple friends that are DJs and that try to do it relatively full time, and they're reaching out to people like as they hear about an event that might happen. And they're, you know, reaching out two months in advance. So, Things get booked out pretty quick. I do play. I played a good amount of house parties. Um, I yeah. I played at uh, yeah. No vacancy. I think it's a clothing boutique. It's um, that my friends started up. So I got to play that last year. But other than that, I, I haven't played out much in Portland, and it's mostly been because I, I kind of got up here and jumped right into college and, and working. So it's just you know what I can kind of balance and handle. But I'm definitely looking for for shows and looking to do that more. So you are majoring in supply chain management, correct? Yes. So we'll get back to that in a second, but as a business student, also a musician, you probably have a pretty interesting perspective on the business side of music. So it'd be great if you could talk about that a little bit, especially on your impressions on what Portland is like compared to the other places that you've played. Yeah, absolutely. Portland uh, is an interesting has an interesting culture around art and music because there's a ton of really talented people out here that don't get paid enough and they don't get the opportunity and access to funds that I've seen in other communities and cities. Um, but there's just so much of it out here. I think that it's part of just being in a city and just being in a really competitive environment. I will say that as a business student, I do look at things a little bit differently, as, especially as supply chain, because we talk a lot about you know, relationship management and leverage and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I recognized when I was younger, I kind of had a hot head about myself and was like, oh, you know, I have this much music and I'm, you know, I put this much time into this and, and you know, recognizing like I really don't have that much leverage. You <laughs> know, when somebody offers me an event or a show, I'm not really in a place to be like making my own terms and that kind of thing. And then on top of that as well, uh, 
there's a lot of artists out there that if they were to manage their money a little bit better would be much better off and more successful early on in their career. I do plan on taking out an LLC and trying to get some tax write-offs on my music equipment that I buy because even if I make a little bit of money I can prove to the IRS that it's a it's a business you know so I think that the business side of things and you know supply chain is a little more technical and doesn't necessarily as much relate but the overall lessons that I've learned uh, through the school of business definitely apply to music and and potential career opportunities, because DJs are entrepreneurs, even though we don't see them that way, they are. <laughs> mm. 100%. And um, when you started at Portland State, were you a supply chain major? No, I actually started at Portland State University, it's funny, I don't think you even know this, uh, as a civil engineering, civil engin and environmental engineering, and I wanted to get into environmental engineering. No but way. Yeah, yeah. And then I took the 101 class and we did a bunch of tours of job sites and I kind of got to see what the everyday life of an engineer looked like and I thought, nah, you know, this isn't really for me. I like doing math but not like that every day um, and, you know, using models and, and that kind of thing. It's funny though because I'm jumping into supply chain which is very similar. I mean, not, not as complicated of math but uh, a lot of, lot of numbers. <laughs> mm -hmm. And actually, I remember when I met you, I remember you telling me that you were a finance major. So yes. I can see the jump, though, if you were interested in math. But were there any particular reasons why you switched from finance to supply chain? Yeah. So I did an internship last year at Fisher Investments, and I got to work on their data and analytics team for their private client group, which isn't necessarily exactly what finance looks like. Um, and I, I got to say, I really did appreciate the experiences that I had at, at Fisher Investments. I taught me a lot about what office culture looked like and what working a nine to five in an office was gonna kind of feel like after after college. Um, so I, I appreciate it for that, but I just didn't feel very stimulated at work and I just felt like it wasn't really for me. And then the second reason was I was uh, training to do a race with Jake McCall from our, our program. Shouts out to him, he's kind of a mentor whether he knows that or not to me. Um, <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> but yeah, we would, we would go running a lot and he would, uh, talk to me about supply chain and I just kind of found it fascinating. Um, it's, you know, really the intersection of global economics and politics and then in business. Uh, I, and I find that super interesting. So that's kind of what made me make that transition from finance to supply chain. Um, if I had the time, I would maybe do a major, but I already kind of have I've full, fully committed to supply chain and I, I want to walk in the spring. So mm -hmm. <laughs> we're here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I know once you kind of get towards the end, you really kind of feel things wrapping up. You're like, I just want it to be over. Yeah. I want to get it over with, get yeah. my degree. Yeah, I'm excited to be putting in this amount of work and then like getting paid for it. Like, I'm looking <laughs> forward to that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So going back a little bit, uh, what brought you originally to Portland State University? It was proximity-based. And then also I wanted to, I was 22 when I was going back to college, and I really wanted to go to a campus that was a little less, um, classic college campus, I guess is the right way to say it. Um, I was thinking about going to U of O, um, but I didn't really want to move to Eugene. And that was kind of what drew me away from U of O is that I, it was going to be kind of that classic college experience. And I was really looking for something that was a little more um, metro and, and, uh, and a little bit of an older community. I wanted to be around people a little more around my age. So that's kind of what drew me here. So one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast is the fact that PSU has a thriving, very diverse, and often non-traditional student culture. Would you say that that has benefited you in your academic career? Yeah, absolutely. 
going back to kind of what made me choose supply chain, um, you know, having being in classes with people that are older than me, being around people that are different than me has been really good for me. I'm from Durango, Colorado, which most people are like, where is that? And it's because it's a tiny town and it's very homogenous. So coming to a place that has more diversity and diversity of thought and perspective has been really good for me. Um, and I definitely, there's a lot of lessons that I've learned at Portland State University that I will definitely be carrying into my, my professional career, mostly through just being a good listener and receptive to other people's opinions, even when I disagree. Yeah, I would say that, that being 22 and coming to college was a little bit scary, you know, after not writing essays for so long, after not doing that. And then uh, I got, I got moved into the dorms and I got put with a Japanese exchange student, Diosuke, and we lived together. He was 22 as well, which was awesome. So uh, similar age groups and, and yeah, it just made it pretty cohesive and, and for me, especially like dipping my toes back into college because it is very intimidating. <laughs> Yeah, it must have been like kind of an adjustment period after not having been in school for so long to then yeah. come back. Um, even though four years isn't that long, it's still like long enough that maybe you forget how a to do A lot can change things. in four years. Yeah, exactly. A lot uh, can change in four years. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. They said like APA format and I just started sweating. Like, I don't know what that means anymore. <laughs> I don't remember what that is. <laughs> yeah. Like, I still don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> how do I do in-text citations, you know? It's that kind of stuff that you just forget after not doing it for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's cool. And um, when you came back to PSU, did you get involved? Um, did you do different extracurriculars or pursue any leadership opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I was in student government as a senator before COVID, um, and then I moved into the SFC, and then I was also in the waste reduction task force when I first got here. I was into doing the environmental engineering thing. Could you describe what the senator position does? For those yeah. of us who don't know. Or being a senator in student government pretty much entails going to meetings. You have to be in two, I believe, committees. Then you meet with your committees as well. They talk about different issues on campus, different uh, ideas or things moving forward. And then you vote in Senate on it uh, after normally making a presentation with your committee. It's actually really funny. I got involved into the SFC through being a senator. Jose was the uh, lead of the SFC at the time, and they had made a presentation on cutting budgets or cutting some form of funding for students. And I honestly can't really remember exactly what it was, but I just started badgering them with questions and was being super annoying, and they were obviously annoyed with me. And then afterward, Jose came up to me and was and asked, you know, do you do you want to be in the SFC because you obviously care a lot about this and. I took it on and I was like, yeah, absolutely, I'll, I'll, I'll be part of the SFC, um, which is student fee committee, and that's pretty much what happens with, there's two fees that we pay at the beginning of each term, and I'm having a hard time remembering the names of them, but it's pretty much where that funding goes, how it gets dispersed. Um, if you're in any club or program, you're essentially going to eventually have to ask the SFC for funding and SELP in general. Uh, they all go through the SFC. So it's pretty much like what happens with that, that pot of money that gets collected. Um, and what kinds of experiences did you gain from being in the student fee committee? Kind of doubling back on that, you know, listening to perspectives that you disagree with and uh, having complicated conversations and holding space for people. That was definitely something I learned a lot back then. Also navigating really confusing, complicated words and topics and laws, you know, because everything's kind of put into code and then they try to make it as specific as possible, which makes it really confusing. So that was, that was really interesting as well. And then also, yeah, it was just awesome at the time. I was the liaison to... I think the Veterans Center, students with children, uh, the, the Viking 
Little Vikes? Little Vikes, Little Vikes, that's what it is, yeah. I was the liaison to that, which which felt really cool, the food pantry as well. So going and talking to them about what they're doing and all the awesome, incredible work they do on this campus to, to make education accessible for everybody, that was awesome. And um, I also know, uh, since this is how I met you, that you're in the Business Honors Program, which we mentioned a little bit prior. Yes. Um, what was it that propelled you to join the program? I wanted to join the program because I wanted to be challenged more in my coursework. And then also I wanted to be around uh, people that challenged me more. And I, I looked into the capstone and I just thought it was a really interesting route to take. The class we're going into this next term, working with an actual business and kind of applying what we've learned into a real context seemed really interesting to me. And then, yeah, those, those first Friday forums that we do have been awesome. Uh, networking and meeting everybody that's in our program. And yeah, being in a cohort is so cool because, you know, when you're in one class with different people every time, it's hard to kind of build a connection and a community. And I feel like that's something that's available to us in the honors program, which I, I really appreciate. Yeah, I also really like that about the business honors program. Essentially, we... Uh, we're in the cohort together for all of our junior year. We all took like one class together each term. Um, and it was really nice because I feel like I got to know people a lot better and I feel like I actually made friends, um, which I don't always make in my classes. <laughs> um, so I really like the social aspect and that was a big reason why I also did the business honors program was I just really wanted to feel less lonely on campus because yeah. that, that can be easy at, at a commuter school. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I couldn't recommend the business honors program more. If, if you're interested in, like, making friends, that's, that's what <laughs> you can do it. For all you Very people friendly. who like having a social life, yeah, business who honors likes could be for you. Yeah. <laughs> I know I do. Yes, join yes. the business honors program. Actually, I recently got the email that's like, hey, you should join business honors because I'm a sophomore, so I, I'm just going into those upper division classes now, and I guess it's time for me to make that decision. Yeah. Do it, Michael. I absolutely recommend it. Um, I mean, y'all make a pretty good case for it, so, yeah. Yeah, and what we also do is we do First Friday forums, and that's essentially like a workshop or a class that we do on the first Friday of every month. And I believe, Tatum, didn't you organize one? Yeah, uh, we brought in actually the class president from uh, ASPSU, or the one previous when I was... Um, I think 2019. Well, Violet Gibson was the president back then, but she resigned right at the end of that year. And Kyle was the vice president. He stepped up and uh, took on president. That's why, that's why I'm calling him that. He really was the vice president. But yeah, he uh, started his own business out of uh, college. He was an environmental science major, and he got into urban gardens and urban farming. And he started up PDX Urban Gardens, which is awesome. He does uh, a bunch of different botanicals and products with herbs grown here in Portland, in, in the metropolitan area. And then he also does the landscaping, and he helps other people start up their own gardens, which I think is awesome. Um, it's really cool seeing someone that goes from college to trying to do something on their own like that, because it's such a big risk, you know, and it just takes so much hard work. So I thought he'd be perfect to bring in to the business honors program, because especially because a, a lot of the times we talk about business and kind of this like corporate context when a lot of the really cool, awesome innovations in business, businesses that exist are here and they're ran by individuals or a couple people. You know, it's, it's not always, it's not always Motorola or Nike, you know, there's, there's other, there's other opportunities and cool things going on outside of the corporations. Um, so yeah, it was, it was cool to bring him in and he did a great job. 
Yeah, Kyle was great. Um, I really liked learning about like his passion for gardening, beekeeping, um, and how he was able to use those like skills essentially to make his own products and start building his business. I also liked hearing how he had to change his business model like all the time because he would try one thing, one different avenue. Um, I remember he talked about like lip balms, how he would make his own lip balms, and then like sales wouldn't be that good for lip balms because customers would usually just buy one yep. and then never buy another one. Yep. <laughs> so then he would pivot and switch to a new venture. And so I think what I remember is he's now focusing on um, vinaigrettes. Yeah, I think it's it's botanicals and vinaigrettes and then... Um, and flowers. And flowers. That was the other thing, yeah. And it weren't the most beautiful slides you've ever seen. Yes. It's, it's so funny. He worked so hard on them. Yeah. <laughs> very passionate, driven person, uh, which is what it takes, I think, to, to be an entrepreneur these days. You know, it's you can't um, put one foot in and one foot out. You kind of got to go all the way in with it. So uh, and he's, he's done that. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's, I'm super proud of him. Shouts out to Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> go Kyle. <laughs> go Kyle, go. It's um, his business is called... Urban Gardens, P PDX? PDX Urban Gardens, yeah. Yep, and I think he actually might be changing the name. I don't know. A bunch of people in the Business Honors Program also tried, have reached out to Kyle and are trying to do some work for him, too. So it's kind of an opportunity from both angles. I think I, I forgot who it was in class, um, but last Friday forum, somebody was talking to me and said, yeah, I'm actually going to help Kyle with the rebranding. and No and way. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Aww. I think it's Tara Lynn. I don't want to say that, though, because I'm not totally sure. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. somebody. That's really cool. Aw, I hope it works out for them. Yeah, yeah. He's the next guy. Brief tangent, might make it into the episode, might not. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually finished a stick of lip balm. I always lose it before no. I even get like halfway through. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> really? That's weird. I, I always finish You them. always finish them? No, I or never I finish them. them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's either I finish it's them like or I lose them. It's like a pen. Like I've never had a pen run out of ink. Like, yeah. So I lose That's, them. Yeah, I, I'm the worst at keeping track of pens. That's I've never had crazy. to refill a mechanical pencil either. Yeah. <gasps> what? Yeah. I've never related to something less. You've bought lead? Yes, I've bought lead. What? <laughs> I, I'm surprised there's even a market for what? pencil lead. <laughs> How, where do you guys get pencils? Do you just... Honestly, I don't even know where I get pencils I, I feel like I've had like the same pencils in rotation for like all four years of college. No way. Yeah. Do you write? No. <laughs> no, I type almost everything. So. That's probably also part of it. I yeah. type everything. I'm convinced that pencils reproduce in my desk drawer, though. Yeah. Uh, every time I open the drawer, there's pencils there, and I don't know where they come from. I don't ever They're put them back. I don't ever put them back. Oh, my God. That is crazy, you guys. I'm very particular about my pens. I always buy my pens from the Japanese bookstore in Uwajimaya. It's Ooh. called Kinokuniya in Beaverton. I buy this very specific brand of pen. The ink is so dark. It's, it's beautiful. It's the most satisfying thing. And I always, always run out of ink for those pens. I've bought like eight. <laughs> you refill pens with ink? Oh no, but like... Or do you buy a new pen? I entirely. buy a new pen. Okay. So okay. it's not sustainable. Them? No, well, uh, it's, not, it's not where I was going with that. I'm not saying it's just like... No judgment here. No judgment here. Um, yeah, no, but you can't... Do you, can you refill them? Is I that a thing? I don't know. This is, yeah. That's a good question, This though. is something I wouldn't know because I lose them. 
Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> should look into that, honestly. <laughs> you know, climate change is on the rise, guys. We have to be careful. Yeah. And start thinking about our, our lifestyle choices and such. Yeah. Sea turtles eating pens and, yeah. yeah. It's very sad. Straws. Save the environment. Type your documents. Yes. Save the environment. Yes. <laughs> So you have a background in music, you came in, you experienced engineering, you experienced finance, you eventually settled on supply chain. What are the plans for after graduation? So after I graduate, I am a little up in the air of what exactly I want to do. I actually initially wanted to move out of Portland um, and get to a sunnier place. Somewhere where I, the sunshine's super important to me. I grew up in the That Rocky is understandable. Yeah. I grew up like really close to the sun and it was out a lot. So um, being here in the rain's been a little hard. But I did recently, I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about this, but I recently did uh, get an offer for an internship at Toyota, uh, which we learn a lot about TPS and supply chain. And it's, I'm really passionate yes. about lean. So it's a great opportunity and it's in North Portland. Uh, it started as an internship, but they've since I'm so close to graduation, I've already kind of talked to them a little bit about moving into their training program. Um, a couple things need to happen before I'm officially doing it. Um, so that's still a little up in the air, but I did get an offer, so I'm going to say it. But yeah, Toyota, Toyota, I think, is the next move. Um, that's so exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited, and uh, I'm hoping that I'm going to have more time after getting out of college to also pursue my passions, which is you know music and that kind of thing on the side. But as, as, as of now, that's, that's really all I have planned out, kind of a one day at a time. Yeah, graduating is really all I'm focused on at this point. <laughs> that is fair. That is very fair. And um, I think Toyota is a perfect internship, honestly, for a supply chain major, just because in class we learn about how Toyota created this new form of supply chain called Just-in-Time. Actually, can you describe it, Tam? Yeah, it's a pull flow system. So things are created as they're ordered instead of building up inventory. It saves businesses a ton of money and then also is better for the environment, you could say, because things are being made to be used, not made to sit and wait and on a shelf, you know. Um, I think that there are some, after doing some cases, there are, there are some challenges to doing a pull flow system. If there are defects, if there's anything like that, it does create a bigger problem than if you have a bunch of inventory already built up. Um, but yeah, Japan after World War II um, was in you know economic despair, and Toyota, without having that level of leadership and high level of thinking, Toyota probably wouldn't have made it. So the story of Toyota is very inspiring. I, I uh, advise anybody that's thinking about supply chain or um, business in general just to look into into the story of Toyota because it's very interesting and there's a lot that we in America can learn from what they do. Yeah, and um, it's interesting with the just-in-time system. Sorry, I just want to talk about this a little more, but just as you said, just-in-time, it's like a make-to-order system. So um, depending on how many orders you get, that's how many cars you make. Yes. But I wonder if there may have been some challenges, say, with the issues in the global supply chain right now. I wonder if that disrupted things um, or just made it hard to keep up with demand um, or get orders completed. And so in that way, sometimes there is a benefit of having that traditional inventory where you have all of your components ready to go, even if it has just been sitting there taking up space. Yeah, yeah. Um... Toyota's definitely, they have really high goals for 2023. I think there was like something like 10.6 million cars that they're trying to produce. I, I know it's 10 million something. It's a lot of cars. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a bunch of supply chain issues. Um, Is that worldwide? 
yeah, worldwide. Yeah, Toyota's Toyota's been faced a lot of challenges. I mean, trying to produce cars in America has been really challenging for Toyota. The um, culture we have in America between management and labor is very hard for Toyota. Different cultural expectations in the United States than in Japan. How so? Well, America is where there's been a lot of workers' rights and very problematic business practices that have happened. And when I say workers' rights, there's just been a lot of bills and, and laws that have happened here in the past hundred years that have, have definitely created a culture where there's definitely like a hierarchy and managers are more seen as, as being in charge of people than working with people. And in other cultures, that's not the case. And managers aren't seen that way. I think that it goes both ways too, because I don't want to say that it's just the laborer's fault, because that's definitely not true. There's also an attitude that management sometimes has in the United States that isn't seen in other cultures as well. So it seems like it's been a challenge for Toyota to, to make cars in the United States. And it's interesting because, you know, this logistics facility I'm working at, we actually receive the cars from Japan. And then we put on all of like the last, you know, little things that, that go onto the cars, um, little components, really important components, though. It's not like we're just putting in floor mats. They're, they're important components. Then they get shipped out of that facility across the, the United States. And Toyotas are a very sought-out vehicle in, in the United States, mm. where I'm from. It's like a lot of, lot of blue-collar work, and there's always an argument between, you know... Toyota Tacomas and... Yeah, Toyota Tacomas. <laughs> well, no, it's funny, because Toyota's never brought up in it, because everyone knows that Toyota is better. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Chevy or Dodge, you know, or, <laughs> or Ford F-150, you know, but no one ever brings up Toyota, because it's just... It's, you it's don't even need to say it. That's the best one. Yeah. <laughs> trying to secure that job security. Exactly. Yes. I'm hoping I get a free Tacoma. That's all I'm... That's all. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, my dad drove a Toyota Tacoma for 20 years, and it was a very hardy, hardy yeah. vehicle. No, it's an awesome car. I really want to get a truck eventually. I love going outside, so it's like the perfect car for me. So best of luck at Toyota. That's super exciting. I can definitely see how someone with a background in supply chain would enjoy working at that company for sure. Uh, sort of to broaden our scopes, I guess, uh, would you be willing to talk a little bit about what you like about supply chain as a field and some of the experiences you've had in pursuing it? Yeah, absolutely. The supply chain group of students that I'm involved with through the honors program and just through uh, students I've met in classes, we're really close. We all talked on a Google chat together. Where I'm actually just joined the uh, Supply Chain Management Association. I think it's SLMA. Um, I do want to plug that in. And any student that's listening to this that's thinking about supply chain um, and is a little bit confused about it, our initiative kind of at SLMA is to demystify supply chain uh, through networking events and also bringing in speakers that are going to be giving us relevant information and experience from their jobs. So yeah, the tight-knit community, I love that. Uh, the supply chain major itself, I really like how it's more directed at solving problems. And I felt like that wasn't something I was going to get in finance. Not that finance, finance majors don't solve problems or don't have challenging work, that's not at all what I'm saying. Uh, but... I like the complexity of supply chain, using the quantitative and qualitative variables to think about how to make a decision as a business. It's all very fascinating to me. Um, and then on top of that, there's just a ton of, of need for it right now. There's just job opportunities left and right. So it just seemed like the right move for me, and uh, I'm really happy I made the decision because the classwork that I've done uh, in the past year has been uh, phenomenal. It's been great. It is really interesting learning about how they solve problems. Um, so for example, uh, one of the case studies that 
Dr. Carlos Mena brought up in our class uh, was that there was this one company, I'm going to be a little vague because I don't remember the exact details, but there was this one company, a wine company, that was trying to figure out the cheapest way to ship their wines, like, internationally. They were trying to figure out, like, how they could be cost-effective, essentially, and what they were initially doing was they were bottling the wine in-house. They, that's where they were bottling it, and then they would transport the bottles uh, to other countries in the world. But then they brought in a supply chain analyst who suggested that they could make this process a lot cheaper and honestly a lot easier if they just distributed giant vats of the wine to the countries they were sending it to and then bottling it there. Interesting. And that's kind of an example of a solution that supply chain can solve. Um, do you have any other like examples or case studies that you remember from class that were particularly interesting? Yeah, um, the Boeing. I did actually the Boeing case competition in fall term, and the case was about the circular economy and broken down jets, uh, commercial jets, and what to do with them. And it was just fascinating because it's going to have a huge impact on the environment and being able to learn about how a plane's put together, you know, the different the different fasteners and bolts that are put apart and what where that plane goes. Uh, we got to uh, present it to the Boeing executives and we did not get we did not win, but it was still super interesting to to look at it. I actually I think it's a good experience sometimes to not win because it's humbling, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like this is this is, you know, where I'm at and this is where I need to do and this is how we could have done better and you move on and you get better. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. With the Boeing case competition, what was that process like? I'm going to say that on that case competition, it's so funny because it wasn't for a grade. It was extra credit for Daniel Wong's class. Also, want to say big shouts outs to Daniel Wong for the Toyota internship, too. He is the person who plugged me into that, wow. and I don't know if I would have gotten it without his help. That's um, amazing. He's awesome. He's an awesome guy. Great professor. Um, yeah, 10 out of 10. 11 out of 10. But yeah, Daniel Wong said, you know, this is for extra credit, and... It's funny, all honors students, we all joined a group together and it is was the most intimidating group to be a part of because everybody was just working so hard. Like we met for probably 30 hours a week for really? two weeks. Um, it's probably a little bit of an exaggeration. It probably was more like 20, but it was a lot of work that went into it. And we just sat there and just discussed ideas and did research and then discussed it again and you know, it, it was funny because it almost felt like a lot of times we were just burning wheels without moving anywhere. And then when we did move somewhere, it like happened really fast and we were able to put everything together really quickly. But then we essentially drafted up a presentation for, and you know, you get the case and it, they tell you the problem. And then, you know, we, we obviously talked about it over the two weeks. And then we drafted up a uh, presentation and we went and we presented it to the Boeing case executives. It's actually super stressful when it happened because I got sick two days before the presentation. Oh no! I know. I was not ideal. Yeah, yeah. I had strep throat. Which, <gasps> oh, oh wow! I know. You have worse. to go get an antibiotic. So I went, and that shack was closed. Uh, no. And I, went, I I paid like I paid the I had to pay like two hundred dollars, two hundred fifty dollars, um, to go to a Zoom healthcare clinic because I just needed them to prescribe. It was like, so annoying when you know what you have, and you have to go talk to a doctor, and you're like, you know, I just really need an amoxicillin prescription or a penicillin prescription. I don't need to be diagnosed. Like, I know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I see the white spots. Like, I know yeah. exactly what this is. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
TMI, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, I, I took the amoxicillin and, you know, after you've taken the antibiotic 24 hours after, or it's 24 hours after the fever goes away, which I never had a fever, but I just knew after that, I, I wore a mask and Daniel, it's funny, Daniel actually made me take it off before the presentation. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, so by any Boeing case uh, or any Boeing executives that were in that room at the time, uh, caught strap. <laughs> You me to blame. May or may not have been. It may have, yeah. It's alleged. Allegedly could have been Tatum. Don't cut that. <laughs> keep that one. I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it. It's funny. We lost, so, you know. Yeah, it's all good. What was the problem that you were trying to solve for Boeing? Can you share? Yeah, um, yeah there's no NDA or anything like that. And I, I don't even know if it was a real problem. I think that was more just a challenging one that they wanted students to work on. But yeah, decommission aircrafts because aircrafts only have a certain amount of pressurizations that they can do in their lifetime until they have to be decommissioned for good reasons because the last thing you want is for a plane to start falling apart while it's flying. Um, mm -hmm. So these, these planes get thrown into these like big, they call them boneyards. Uh, it's pretty essentially a junkyard for a plane. Um, and there's just like tons of plane parts and it's it takes up a lot of space. So they they're trying to figure out ways to reuse plane parts. It's, uh, they call it, you know, the circular economy. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, closing closing that loop and uh, making it so that, you know, when they do take apart these planes, the fasteners are getting put into certain bins. You know, everything's getting put into certain places that can then go and be reused, if not for planes, for something else. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not super keen on the idea of, you know, reusing plane parts for new planes. <laughs> <laughs> It's just kind of terrifying to me, but mm -hmm. you know, there's tons of other things that need to be created, like industrial equipment, vehicles, you know, all sorts of different things that require metal. Yeah. But yeah, I love this issue that you guys had to solve for Boeing because this is so relevant right now. We need to be able to find a way to recycle, to reuse all old used components. Otherwise, it just piles up there and it's essentially garbage, wasted space. That was one thing that was really cool to learn about in my supply chain class was learning about the cradle-to-cradle -cradle method and mm -hmm. essentially finding ways to reuse all old used inputs or making sure that every single one of your inputs was properly sourced, that it could be recycled or broken down in some way to be made into a new product. I remember thinking like, wow, that's so cool and that's going to be so, so important because Sustainability is at the forefront of the business world right now, as it should be. We should really be focusing on strategies like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, walking that talk, you know, it's one thing to say, like, we're sustainable, and it's a different thing to actually be trying to tackle this issue head on. You know, it's, it's expensive, especially for mm -hmm. a company like Boeing. And yeah, reusing, especially, you know, all of these new products that we have computers, phones, mixers, you know. All of this stuff requires so many components to put together, and it is hard to make sure that everything's going to find a home afterward that's not a landfill. Um, but it's mm -hmm. very important because resources are limited, even though we, we like to pretend they're not. They are. Um, I like how you mentioned that it's really expensive. I think that's one of the biggest things that's holding back a lot of companies is that it is expensive to recycle everything, to make sure that every input you're using can be reused in some way or... Um, broken down to be used in another process. Like, it is expensive. It's not, I mean, if it was easy, we'd all be doing it by now, but we're not. And so I think a lot of businesses will have to start shifting 
how they conduct themselves in order to make sure that they can afford to be sustainable. Um, but just because it is expensive doesn't mean they shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Um, you have to be able to shift with the times. Everything with business is, you know, everything with good business is being able to pivot and shift. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that another thing is there's, there's not a huge incentive for businesses to be sustainable right now. Um, as uh, consumers in America, especially, like we're, you know, everyone really cares about the environment, but we're, when we're in the grocery store, we don't think about that kind of stuff when we're buying things. You know, we don't, and I know that that's kind of a commodity type of situation, but I mean, when you're a big business and you're looking to buy planes, you're looking for being cost effective. You're looking for the plane that's going to be affordable, that's going to generate the most ROI, right? And that's not necessarily going to be like the this most sustainable option. Um, so there's an there's there needs to be an incentive that that businesses have to 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 make this change, or it needs to be mandated, and it just needs to be something they have to do. Um, but yeah, I, I do got to say props for Boeing for even thinking about this, you know, and bringing it to our attention. And maybe that's why they did it in the student competition is so that. <laughs> They can come up with a solution and not have a whole team working on it and paying them for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they can get fresh ideas Ex- from exactly young blood, young and passionate people about the environment because we all are, right? Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely, we are. It's and part so, of being our generation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the climate crisis just kind of looms in the background. Of, yeah, <laughs> I feel like of a lot of things that we do, yeah. <laughs> yep. it's always it's always going to be there. Unfortunately, unless we can find ways to reverse it. Um, so it's great that Boeing's, you know, at least looking in the right direction. Yeah, no, totally. And um, the, the executives were awesome to present to, and were su- even though they, they said, you know, we didn't win it, they were s- super nice and chatted with us for a while afterwards. It was, it was a great opportunity. So this is coming sort of from a selfish perspective, but I want to ask about how you've been able to balance your love of music and pursuit of music with business school, because that is something that I've sort of been struggling with uh, mostly finding the time to actually pursue music amidst finals and classes and really trying to hit hard in the business world. Yeah, um, that's a challenge that I, I fa- like, I'm still working on how I'm going to balance that in my life. It's definitely different, and, and different styles of music kind of are, they, they, it's a duality for me right now because my friends that I do music with and electronic music with, like, do not care about supply chain. Do not care about business. You know what I mean? Like they they do not even like want to hear about it. Um, and then I come into school and it's like I didn't. No one knew that I was a, a musician or a DJ until I like we followed each other on Instagram or whatever. You know, it's like then you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I definitely wouldn't go into a job interview and say like, "Hey, I make electronic music," like because that kind of has a stigma behind it still. So it's um, mm-hmm. it is a duality for me a little bit. Uh, and it's a challenge, um, but I've always had that challenge. And I, I grew up playing instruments, and I've always like wanted to 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 do music, and I've always had responsibilities that are that come first. Mm-hmm. So I have a list that I keep, and I it's my goals for like what I'm going to do, and it mostly right now has to do with creating content, um, but it does have a little bit to do with writing music, where I'm like I want to finish this song by the end of this month which was my goal for this month, and I'm not going to meet it. There's no way. Um, mm-hmm. It's okay. But mm-hmm. the Ice Spice remix is coming out. Ice Spice remix on, coming out on my SoundCloud. What's on your SoundCloud username? Tatum Duke. It's just my name. 
if all of my handles are the same. Yeah. <laughs> nice. It's that easy, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you plug the remix for sure. <laughs> I will. Gotcha. But I'll go. I'll, I'll double back and say that um, balancing music and work or school or whatever responsibility I have, hopefully one day family, <laughs> right? Mm, yeah. It's uh, it's always going to be a challenge and it's always going to be something I have to be consciously aware of. But I think that setting goals, even if they're not necessarily realistic, but just having that goal and having it written down somewhere. I have like reminders. My reminders app, I have one reminder set up that it just has a list of things that I want to do and, and accomplish. Um, so... I try to mark those off as I go, and I also have those for my responsibilities as well. But then I have, you know, the list at the bottom that's like the creative stuff. That balance is something that I think that everybody walks, and I, even though sometimes it's stressful, it's it's a blessing to to be uh, passionate about something that's outside of like my career. So yeah, I I, I definitely won't ever stop. Um, mm-hmm. It's really funny. My awesome. dad sometimes will ask me like, you know, are you gonna like become a serious person now? Like, are you gonna like? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're gonna like put on your suit and tie and uh, you know stop making these goofy videos. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think I ever will. No. Um, and I do see it as like if a business doesn't see that as a value add, I don't really want to be in a business like that. That's like we don't want you to be yourself outside of work, you know, or we don't want mm-hmm. you to express yourself. Um, and I, I'm excited to be working in supply chain logistics because I am kind of like on the back end of things, and I'm not really like the face of a company or something like that. So I can do that kind of stuff on the side and not um, mm-hmm. jeopardize anything for a company. Um, not that I would, because it's funny. It's it's really just making music and then playing it out to people. There's mm-hmm. not much more to it than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you said one of your goals, uh, mainly with your music career is making content. So what kind of content do you mean? Do you mean like Instagram content? Yeah, like TikTok and Instagram. Um, I'm a pretty extroverted person, so I like to like dance and, you know, I do like silly things on on camera that like most people would be like, oh my gosh, I would never do that. Um, like <laughs> I send it to my sisters and they'll be like cringe, like, you know. <laughs> and I get, I get it. I'm like, yeah, but I also see it as, you know, DJing is kind of cringe if you really think about it. You know, like it's it's uh it's supposed to be kind of weird, and it's it's a new thing. And I think that with something being new, also comes you know a lot of risks that you're taking while you do it. But um, every time I take a risk like that, or it's, I almost feel like I'm like hucking myself into the abyss of people's opinions. Um, it's like sending a risky text message to to 900 people or whatever. You know, when you post a video, it's like oh my gosh, you know. But I've always found that when I throw myself into that abyss, I'm met with like clouds and people like kind of embrace that and they catch you and they go like, you know, we love you for who you are and uh, we're happy that you did this. And um, my goal, I guess, really for when I'm posting videos is like it's not even really to like build a following. I really just want to like boost my friend's serotonin when they're like doom scrolling, you know, like come across a video that's like, heck yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. this made me smile. This made me, this made me happier today. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really what I want to bring with it. That's great. I do want to ask, though, as a marketing major, what do you do, aside from music, to market the music that you make? Yeah. Right now, I am very much trying to get into labels. So music that I'm releasing, I'm trying to release through smaller labels. In house music, there's just like a million labels, and they're all over the world. And if you sign sign a track with a label, you're not really going to make a lot of money. And that's, that's kind of the idea of it is you sacrifice the ability to monetize something. Because if something does blow up, you're not going to get a lot of money from it. Um, but you need to get your name out there. And it's really hard to do that independently. But and when I say labels, I'm not talking about like the big labels. I'm talking about you know independent labels that do have a following. 
and the underground scene. So releasing through them, and then um, yeah, also consistency. That is the most important thing. Um, I have friends that are uh, that are incredible, doing incredible things with their music, and a big part of that is because they literally post every other day and they're consistent. And people see that, promoters see that, uh, event organizers see that and they go, oh, these are the types of people we want to book for our shows because they're obviously super into this. You can make like one awesome track every 10 years and you're not, your career is not going to blow up unless you have like an amazing track. But we can't all be Vanilla Ice. You know, we can't all be Justin Bieber. Mm-hmm. So what platforms would you say are most effective for a musician like yourself marketing? Instagram. Instagram? Yeah, TikTok. Absolutely. The Instagram algorithm is kind of frustrating. That's sort of what I've been falling into is the algorithm just burying everything. Yeah. The second you start mm-hmm. posting consistently, Instagram recognizes like, oh, this person's trying to create content and they're trying to market themselves. And then they, they go, okay, we're going to like try to get you to pay for that, for that view, viewership, which is frustrating because, you know, your followers are, you work a long, long time to get those, you know, and it's not even, most of the time it's not like, a business or, or you know like fans it's like your friends and it's like I want my friends to see what I do you know and I don't want them to to get buried just because you want me to pay for promotion uh, TikTok's algorithm is incredible it's you, like you'd say that TikTok is more friendly to new, aspiring new, creators yeah new new creators absolutely because I have like no following on TikTok at all and my videos get just as many plays on TikTok as they do on Instagram which is really weird but the the second that like someone sees it and likes it I think it like gets pushed up a little bit and pushed up a little bit you know when people are just kind of scrolling and the you know the algorithm is recognizing that they're watching videos on music they'll just throw your video into their stream and it'll show up and random people will like it um which has been really cool because like sometimes I'll throw a video out on Instagram and it'll bomb, but then it'll like do well on TikTok, and that's it's uh it's reassuring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like TikTok is really good about promoting smaller creators because I noticed when I started posting some TikToks, um, just like some you know short silly things, I noticed that my feed changed a lot. Where suddenly I was getting a lot of TikToks from other small creators. Not to say I'm a small creator, but it was just a little weird yeah. suddenly seeing like um, essentially like lots of micro influencers on my feed, which felt unusual. I feel like normally you'd expect to see like big creators, big names, people with you know a hundred plus a hundred thousand plus followers or something like that. Um, but it seems like TikTok is shifting a little bit to bring micro influencers out. Yeah, absolutely. We we kind of talked about that a little bit in uh, that marketing class, three eleven, when Amaraji's class, where Micro-influencers are kind of the next big thing that's mm-hmm. that's coming up right now and how we advertise to people. Um, I actually have a friend out here that that's like a semi-pro skier and they are very good, but they're not like X Games level, you know, where they're going to actually like get huge sponsorships, but they do get sponsorships because these companies recognize that like, oh, you look like a real person and you're influencing people in Portland, and we want you to, to try to sell our products, you know, so it's like Pit Viper sponsors them, and it's, it's cool. That's it's super so cool. cool. It's, it's cool to see, and you, you can, like, make a, you, you're not going to make millions of dollars, but you can make a living doing it. Um, and if you're passionate about something, I always recommend that you, you send it. Like, like I said, throw yourself into the abyss. Don't be afraid of, of rejection or ridicule. Um, it's a privilege to have haters, you know? If people are, are hating on what you're doing, it means you're making an impact on their life. And uh, a lot Absolutely. of people will never have that experience. Mm-hmm. So we have a tradition on this podcast where we usually ask our guests for one piece of advice, but I think that pretty much 
fits the bill. So. I have no my I already wrote down another thing for my piece of advice. Cool. Well, please. It's better, uh, it's better advice. Health yes. is wealth. Health is wealth. That is my piece of advice to my younger self. Um, mm-hmm. When I was doing music, I was like the most unhealthy person you could imagine. Like stagnant, would wake up, sit down at my desk, and would not get up until dinner time. And I like wouldn't eat food. Like I would just like sit there and like crumble and like. It just hit me one day where I was like, "This is," and it, it, it physical affects the mental, and then mental affects the physical. Um, and being being healthy is always more important than anything else you have going on. Um, you know, if you're ever in a situation that's not healthy for you, and you, even if it's for money, or you know, if you have the opportunity to go focus on your health, always make always make that time. Um, and I'm still that's still something I'm working on. But yeah, health health is is so so important. Great. I really like that advice. Yeah. It's really good because I think sometimes our our somewhat sedentary lifestyle, you know, um, mm-hmm. driving a lot in cars or having office jobs, being students, being in school, it kind of encourages you to not move so much or maybe if you have a lot of homework, you want to get that quick fix, like make some, some ramen, something quick and easy. Um, I think, though... As we're becoming a little more aware about um, what healthy habits can lead to, I think we're slowly as a generation shifting towards focusing on our health more, um, whether that's exercising or eating healthy, and that makes me really happy. Yeah, absolutely, and it's like the physical health is super important. It's like also the mental health stuff too. Like you know, it's so our generation is like the first generation to really have social media, the first generation to like have unfettered access to the internet from childhood. You know, so we're like kind of guinea pigs in a lot of ways and I think that navigating that space while like always keeping in mind that you know your mental health is incredibly important and it, it does pour into everything else and, and physical health like when you work on that your mental health improves as well um yeah because like before I was at PSU I just wasn't leading a very healthy life and now I am and it's just completely changed who I am so um that is my biggest advice to my younger self and my mom would my mom knew it from yeah, so listen to your mom. That's my, that's the second piece of advice. <laughs> listen to your mom, Shout or or, moms. or uh, yeah, moms or or any guardian or, or maternal figure, <laughs> maternal figure that that makes an influence and tells you positive things. Yeah, get outside, mm-hmm. love yourself. Ooh, cool, love that. Beautiful. <laughs> well, here we are at the end of the show. Uh, we usually give our guests an opportunity to plug anything that they have coming up. I know you say you have a remix coming out. So remix coming out this weekend. Um, and then SLMA, if you have any questions about that, um, feel free to email me or uh, ask me on LinkedIn. Or you can DM me on Instagram. I don't do much business stuff on Instagram. Um, but yeah, Instagram for music stuff. Uh, my really good friends, uh, New Constellations, are dropping a new EP. And they're actually, I think, about to go play a festival uh, down in Florida somewhere. But before they do that, they're doing a EP release party at the Get Down on April 28th. It's going to be from 8 to 2 in the morning. Um, it's going to be a really fun time. I got a couple of friends that are DJing, and they're also an incredible band as well. Um, so you should get tickets to that. It's going to be an awesome time. And uh, yeah, they're really good friends of mine. So I had, I had to say that. Sounds super cool. That's really exciting. And then just to specify, because um, this podcast episode will come out two weeks later, what date exactly is your remix dropping? I'm going to say the 26th. March 26th. March 26th. Yep. All right, everyone. Get on SoundCloud on March 26th. March 26th. Are you- <laughs> And go. Ice Spice. Search up Tatum Duke <laughs> and listen so to the This episode will definitely come out after March 26th. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what, yeah. 
So if you haven't already, it's now out. Go, on April 5th, go when this check episode it out yeah, comes out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there will be like just new music that I'm going to be putting out here. Um, mostly just want to make sure kind of what you were asking earlier is that I, I position myself the right way instead of just like putting it out. Um, mm -hmm. But with the remixes, you just kind of put it out because you can't really get that signed to a label or anything. But yeah, yeah. I'm going to be putting out music and um, and doing more of that. But yeah, the 28th, April 28th, uh, Get Down PDX. It's going to be a really fun time. Cool. Uh, where can people get tickets for that? Uh, they can get tickets through uh, the link in New Constellations bio. It's also, I think, on the Get Down's website. So the Get Down PDX, it's a, it's a venue here in Portland. So yeah, that, there's going to be a great place to purchase tickets. Cool. And you said you're Tatum Duke on all socials? Yep. Yep, just Tatum Duke. Awesome. Simple. Well, thank you for joining us. This has uh, been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Michael and Diane. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. Absolutely. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Oh, thank you for talking business with us. I'm going to cut that just for you, Jordan. <laughs>